Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you're watching on the NRB Network, Channel 378, DirecTV, or listening on AM820, The Truth, we welcome you. I'm standing here with devoted fans. Devoted, let me tell you. This is our 250th show tonight, which is always a celebration when you hit those kind of earmarks. But tonight, we got a couple all the way from Illinois. This is Jesse and Holly, his wife. You can say hi. <laughs> hi, Mom. And then we have Cody and Karen, and they're from Colorado. They're, is there anything? How do you guys, you guys are friends? You know each other? High school buddies. We were Cody. No kidding. Awesome. And then how long are you in Utah? Uh, we've been here since Friday. We're leaving on Wednesday, tomorrow. Anything that you would like to say, uh, anybody, uh, to the audience to go down in Heart of the Matter history, forever on tape, forever on YouTube, forever in the cans. You're, you're put on the spot now. Just look in that camera and go. Sean McCraney rocks. Yes! That was not prompted. We love Sean McCraney. Oh we, we purposely plan this trip to see his shows. Oh, that is awesome. I'm about to tear up. Any, anything besides something about Sean McCraney that you would like to say? Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's okay. Hey, always great. Uh, great to meet people. It's a real blessing in the ministry. Thanks, you guys, for being on. Thank you. Okay, thank you. thank you. Heart of the Matter can be seen here and on live television through streaming video at www.hotm.tv, in our archives at the same website, and all over the web, especially at youtube.com. Wherever you're watching from, we welcome you. Weekly Bible study, Sundays, join us. 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. Join us, University of Utah. Join us. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information. I like times, uh, directions, things like that. Then Heart of the Matters replayed on AMA 20, The Truth, uh, every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. Listen as you're driving to the Bible study. I was a born-again Mormon. It's available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, uh, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books, Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, Living Word Bookstore in Twin Falls, Idaho, Christian Center Books, Park City, and of course at www.hotm.tv. We have a new book that's uh, coming out. It is going to be, sh it's going to arrive here on the 18th. There's been a little delay. Uh, the name of that book is, If My Kingdom Were of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. That's a quote from our Lord Jesus Christ. The byline to it is a believer's refusal to join modern Christian culture. 
It's a very important book. We hope you'll consider it. Where can you get it? Right now, only at HOTM.TV. And then later, you'll probably be able to get it at the other bookstores as well. And maybe nationwide. We haven't tried to go nationwide with Born Again Mormon, but maybe we'll do that as well. <clears throat> Last year, we have gotten behind the Salt Lake uh, Rescue Mission and their drive to keep those who are less fortunate warm during these cold uh, winter months here in Utah. Join us by bringing your new and gently used men and women's coats. Uh, winter coats right here to the lobby of uh, KTMW TV 20 between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday through the end of February. TV 20 is located at 314 South Redwood Road. Uh, it is south of the I-80 and north of 400 South. And these are really appreciated and needed, so we thank you very much. How about some emails just to keep it moving from Alice. She says, I have watched your show gain much. I'm a Jewish believer and have some concerns about Gandhi. I know all the world adores him and holds him up somewhat to be well God, but I have read about him being quite the anti-Semite. Can you tell anything about him that you know? I don't know that much about Gandhi, but there is an MK Gandhi. He's the Gandhi we think about back in 1930s. And uh, there's an Arun Gandhi who's his grandson or his great-great-grandson, I don't know which, M.K. Gandhi, he is, uh, he had many close Jewish friends and he was appalled at what Hitler's Nazism was doing. Uh, he wasn't, didn't support Zionism in its extreme form, so we don't know really too much more about that, but I don't believe he was anti-Semitic. However, uh, Arun, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Gandhi, uh, today is much more anti-Semitic in his views about the Jews being the cause of all things ugly in the world. So that's probably where you're getting that idea about Gandhi. <clears throat> this is from Hayden. He says, uh, I received an, a letter from our LDS friends during Christmas time, and it talks about in this letter it being a time of hope, hope for a better world, hope for the forgiveness of sins. And uh, uh, Hayden and Julie write that it is really sad, uh, saddening that uh, hope in forgiveness uh, is believed that there's this hope I'll be forgiven when you can have an assurance that you are forgiven. That's what that faith is. That's what spiritual rebirth brings. That's faith that is trusting in the promises of the Lord that the Lord suffered and shed his blood for you. There's not a hope he's going to forgive your sins. He did forgive your sins. And there's one of the main differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. Austin he writes a long thing about my dishonest portrayal of the LDS views of salvation and how I've never given a response. He's angry because I quoted in part one of their articles of faith. I didn't say that we believe through the atonement of Christ all mankind may be saved by the obedience to laws and ordinance of the gospel. All I said was that they say uh, we believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And he's angered that I omitted the part. We believe that through the atonement of Christ. My apologies. However, that article of faith, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel is a flat out lie. It contradicts Paul's teachings in Romans about, listen, if it is grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, works isn't works. And if it is works, it's no more uh, grace. They are exclusive, mutually exclusive. It cannot be grace if it includes obedience to anything. 
It's either grace or it's not. And that's where this guy named Austin, he just doesn't get it. He, because he's LDS and his eyes haven't been opened. So I just wanted to talk about that. Shane uh, asks about his teenage daughter being interested to see Girl and if it will be available uh, soon. We are having a viewing. Just met with Pastor Terry Long at Salt Lake City uh, Calvary Chapel. We're arranging for a, a showing and a, a girls' night to come with their parents and, and view Girl. So that's coming up. Uh, Chadley asks, I was just curious if any of your books are available to purchase on audio. Not yet. Uh, every time someone goes to record one, they fall asleep. So we, we just can't seem to get that done. <laughs> a little joke there for you. And finally, there was an abundance of response from our caller last week named Katya uh, from Santa Cruz, California. She touched many people's hearts. We have received innumerable um, emails from people saying, how is she doing? I'm praying for you. Uh, this is just one from Minpin that says, uh, I'm worried about her. Is she okay? Will she write to you? Has she written to you and, and to your friends? Let her know that she touched my heart. I am praying for lots of love in Christ. Uh, Katya is in contact with the ministry and we've had a great deal of help come in for her. We've had people who watched the show who said, hey, my brother holds a Bible study in Santa Cruz that's very non-denominational and open. So we're making these connections for people like that. It's really a beautiful thing, so we're grateful. If uh, you were with us last week, you might recall that we started in Matthew just to go through the first chapter and pull out highlights and how the Word of God shows Mormonism to be a lie. Well, tonight, how about a little more from Matthew chapter 1? Verses, uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Uh, Joseph was engaged or betrothed to Mary, and he discovers that she's with child and is contemplating the situation. And this is what verse 20 says. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou art thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The LDS Church News in December of 2004, so relatively recently, citing Mormon prophet Ezra Taft Benson, saying, quote, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the most literal sense. The body in which he performed his mission in the flesh was sired, by that same holy being, we worship as God, our eternal father. Jesus was not the son of Joseph, nor was he begotten by the Holy Ghost. So there is a flat out contradiction of what the Holy Word says and what the Mormons say. The angel continues in Matthew 21 saying, Matthew 1, 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This Jesus is the only one who can save us from the uh, mighty, all-consuming drive and control of our sins. The Greek here sh shows that he saves us of sin, he saves us in sin, he saves us from sin. Only him, and there's nothing we can do except trust in his work on our behalf. 
Then verse 22 and 23 say, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Who's with us? God is with us. And if God, God from eternity to eternity, uncreated God, God in the flesh, God incarnate for us. John the Beloved summarized the nature of Jesus when uh, God with us when he wrote in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You drop down to verse 14, and it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But Mormon apostle Bruce R. McConkie said, point blank, as recorded in the book, Sermons and Writings of Bruce R. McConkie, page 61, quote, Christ worked out his own salvation by worshiping the Father, made him a man just like us. And LDS uh, 70 Milton R. Hunter in the LDS book, The Gospel Through the Ages, wrote, quote, Jesus became a God and reached his great state of understanding through consistent effort and continuous obedience to all the gospel truths and universal laws. Matthew 1 says Jesus was begotten of the Holy Spirit. Mormonism says he was not. Matthew says Jesus was God with us. Mormonism says he had to become a God. What are you going to believe? And with that, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, seek you and need you. We need your spirit to be with us, be with me, so I'll be able to say the things you want and, and be calm uh, when I'm confused or angry. Please bless the audience uh, who have traveled from great distances uh, with safety, uh, whether they're here in studio and those who are at home or in YouTube or on NRB or whatever it might be, Lord. We just pray for them, pray for our volunteers and those who are seeking that their eyes may be open, their ears may hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine for a minute, wherever you might live, that here in the United States, Islam begins to really take off in popularity. I mean, it grows by leaps and bounds. Imagine that in the next 10 years, Islam becomes so big that many high-powered political offices are suddenly held by Muslims. And then imagine that in 15 years, not only is the majority of the House and Senate and legislature Muslim, but by this time, the Muslim leaders have implemented their Islamic beliefs right into the fabric of American life. Imagine that our children are made by law to face Mecca three times a day and pray. Imagine that our post-pubescent girls are forced to wear burqas or that our boys are required to study the Quran every day. Have you imagined that? Just let yourself think that for a second. Now, the question I have for you is this. How does that make you feel? How would you like that situation to occur? Do you like the idea of being governed by someone else's religious beliefs, especially if they're not your own? Do you think that you would feel more personal, God-given freedom, <clears throat> having someone's religion dictated to you? and your family on how they're supposed to live their lives and how to spend their money and use their time. I would imagine that unless, you, that unless you are Muslim, 
you would feel downright angry, incensed, and ready to engage in war if this ever started happening. Am I right? But perhaps there is a more important question we also need to consider. If we would react this way about something like this being imposed upon us, why would we as Christians want or seek to impose our beliefs on others through government? Didn't Jesus echo the golden rule when he said in Matthew 7:12, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, we can't forget amidst all the hubbub about regaining our nation, the United States was established by a people who were seeking to escape state-run religion, not to establish one. Those pilgrims wanted the freedom to worship and or to not worship at all. This was the foundational driver that caused them to endure perilous journey across the ocean on ships to reach this land. Once here, the founding fathers uh, exerted concerted effort to draw a big black line between church and state. No more theocracies, no more monarchies, no imperialist emperors who said they were God on earth to govern the land, and no more kings. Think about how many people died in the American Revolution just so these inalienable rights could become a reality for us. The Mormons have their right to their religion. Catholics have their right to theirs. The Baptists have their rights to theirs. The pig worshipers can worship theirs. Raelians, whatever it is. All of us ought to have a right to believe however we want and even act on those beliefs so long as two very wrong things do not occur. First, our personal religious beliefs cannot harm another person or their property. And second, our religious convictions cannot control the lives, actions, or beliefs of others through government. You got that? Now, last week, we made it abundantly clear that the founder of Mormonism was emphatic that it, meaning the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, would in time consume the world and then govern it politically. After Joseph Smith set the stage for his so-called theodemocracy to roll forth and fill the earth like the stone cut out of the mountain without hands as recited in the book of Daniel, LDS leaders who took the helm after his death did everything to push that stone along. Once the Mormons were established here in Utah, under the purely theocratic control of Brigham Young, LDS apostle John Taylor, speaking of Mormon theocracy, said, look at this. This principle pervades all, whether in a civil or military capacity or in any other capacity. We used to have a difference between church and state, but it is all one now. Thank God we have no more temporal and spiritual. We have got church and state together. Then he said something interesting. Speaking of how proud they used to be in their doctrinal warfare against Christians, uh, John Taylor added, quote, We used to talk of baptism and repentance, and we used to whip our sectarian priests with their own Bible, and we thought we were tremendous fellows then. Meaning, just wait till we get rolling on this theocracy filling the world, and you'll see how great we really are. How did and how do the LDS expect this theocracy to take hold and operate the world? 
I mean, if they were still military minded like they were when Joseph Smith was ruling and reigning, they would expect to try to overtake the world by the sword. But Joseph Smith said it would not be by the sword that they govern this world. So how are they going to do it? Through two interrelated avenues, my friends, through their hand in politics and through the arm of what they call their priesthood. Now, last year we did two programs comparing what the Bible said about these priesthoods and what the Mormons claim their priesthoods are. I think we were able to show that Mormonism maintains a false priesthood relative to what the Bible teaches. So if this priesthood is false and is not here to literally serve and lead God's true kingdom here on earth, it can't because Jesus is our high priest and he's the one who leads his church, then what is the LDS priesthood, what is the LDS priesthood really here to do? LDS assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve, William J. Critchlow, made it clear in his conference speech dated October 1963 when he said, quote, This holy priesthood is a system of laws and government that is pure and holy, a perfect law of theocracy. Critchlow continues, Presently, it is the government of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, <coughs> God's kingdom here on earth. Eventually... When the kingdom embraces the earth, meaning when Mormonism controls the world, I sincerely expect priesthood will be the governing world power. Can man devise a better system of laws and government? The Mormon priesthood, he said, will be the governing world power. Do you care about those claims as Christians? Does it bother you at all? Do you take them seriously or do you just not think it's possible? I mean, do you want to be under the thumb of Mormon priestcrafts or priesthoods? I don't. Not anymore that I want to be under the theocratic control of Muslims, and to be frank, under the theocratic control of any religion or religious people, except for the kingdom of God ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ himself. But since Mormonism started as a strong millennialist movement, I mean, they were telling people when Joseph was around, the end is coming, it's coming, prepare the kingdom of God. Mormonism believes that it has a duty to prepare the kingdom of God here on earth, and only then, once that job is done, will Christ return and reign over that kingdom. Hence the belief and justification for a worldwide theocracy led and controlled by their priesthood. But what is truly sad about this is that the LDS are not alone in their drive to prepare the world uh, for Christ to inherit this man-driven kingdom. There are a number of Christian sects and individuals who too, based on their errant views of the end times, the es eschatology, also believe that they have a duty of preparing the earth for Jesus to return to assume the kingdom when it's ready. All you have to do is look around and ask yourself, are they doing a good job at getting the world ready now? I mean, is this really what God's plan is? I think they're failing miserably. And you can see that's not what our agenda should be. The similarity of objectives shared by the LDS and these post-trib Christians has made for both groups to sort of unite in an effort to rid the world of evil and establish a righteous kingdom here on earth. What the gullible Christians do not understand is Mormonism is using the Christian vote and their man-made power to achieve Mormonism's goals, not Christianity's. And to top it off, all of these concerted efforts are not stopping anything. 
To, talk, to quote uh, Exine Cervenka, the world's a mess, she said, and it's only going to get worse until, as Gurwitz wrote, the only true Messiah rescues us from ourselves. So what are we doing in the meanwhile? What Jesus told us to do or what the Mormons, who are bent on controlling the world, are cajoling us to do? I completely reject the idea that Mormonism can or will have anything to do with establishing the true kingdom of God here on earth, but I do believe it is, has enough money. They're talking about something like a billion dollars a month that it receives in income and enough world power to govern the fallen world. Just look at California in the 2008 war to limit marriage against uh, limit marriage to heterosexuals. Now, I, I, my position is not about homosexual marriage. I am for heterosexual marriage only. But exactly how did the LDS marshal their troops, gather their funding, and get a very liberal state to turn out in droves to see the measure win? Quite frankly, they did it through their priesthood. Just like the Hitler Youth, sorry for the comparison, Mormon priesthood trainings start very young. When boys are 12, they are made deacons. When they're 14, they're called teachers. When they're 16, they're called priests. At 18, they're made elders. And then once proved worthy, devoted, and willing to pay, they are made high priests. None of these priesthood offices have anything to do with their biblical applications. But they certainly play a role in organized world power here in the secular earth. And they are all aligned in the human resource. They, 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 they compare so strongly to the Fortune 500 companies on the organizational structure. How does it work? Quickly. First, the prophet speaks. Then the apostles convey the message. Then the vast general authorities respond with that message. Then area presidencies call special meetings for all their stake presidents and their counselors to attend or to at least read. Then the stake presidents call in the bishops, who are the local leaders of the local wards and congregations. Then the bishops will invite the faithful priesthood holders of their ward to do whatever they can with the uh, amount of money and power and influence they have on hand. Finally, the devoted fathers of each ward begin to contribute large amounts of time or cash to the call. They bring in their families. <coughs> they organize nonviolent protests if needed, and then converging on the polls in mass when the time is right. Over the past 20 years, this is how Mormonism has stopped raging floods, paid for temple construction, fought the ERA, and kept marriage sacred in California. Today, they've added a new and improved addition to the game. In my opinion, there is no religion on earth more influential or present on the internet than Mormonism. And no group is putting up more of a fight to see acceptable online either. Additionally, and most disturbing to me, in this age of political correctness, Mormonism has won over a number of Christian leaders, getting them to join their crusade to govern the world and to establish a kingdom of righteousness. With Prop 8, it was the LDS who rallied Christian pastors and troops, making them allies and with every supposed advance they made. Look around. Mike freaking Huckabee two or three weeks ago, who does he have on? The Osmonds. And what does he do? He sits there and tells on, on, on his syndicated show how wonderful their upbringing is and how uh, wonderful of a family life they've had and what a well, how much good and, and greatness they've brought to America. Uh, has the guy lost his eternal perspective uh, just so that he can try to win political sway and votes? Stay tuned, folks, because we are in for more and more 
and we will see more firm Christian leaders joining hand in hand with this multi-billion dollar non-Christian group, all in the futile effort to save the nation and the world from sin. Now, initially, initially like with Prop 8, the Mormon sway will be aimed at thing, things most God-fearing people will have no problem endorsing, sound family values, wars on pornography, and placing uh, limitations on changing institutions like marriage. We'll all agree with that. But this is one of the slipperiest slopes ever present in the history of humanity. Why? Because once they establish their power and prowess on matters upon which we agree, they are well on their way and entrenched to get Mormonism in the place where they want it. You have been warned. You can scoff now, you can laugh at me, you can think I'm a fanatic, but if you live long enough, you'll see it. So what do we do? Shouldn't we join in the fight with the LDS to rid the world of evil? I mean, isn't this the duty of every Christian? Not in the least. We'll talk more about that as we continue on next week. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First-time callers, if possible. We love LDS callers or Christian callers who have a point or want to disagree. Just make sure your television sets are turned down. You know, this ministry is grateful to all of you who uh, help us. We want to thank you for your prayers, for your letters, your emails, your financial support, whatever it is. If you have a question or comment, here are the ways you can reach us. There's a phone number that will come up on the screen, and it is, don't have it, don't know it, 1-888. Not there. And then, then there's an address that we can put up on the screen, too. That is... Oh, the phone number is 888-868-4686 for more information. You can hear a very handsome voice from our guy, Derek, who will answer your calls. Then you can come and you can get the address, which is there, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. And then we also have an email address, which you can email us at sean at aletheamedia.com. We are on our game tonight. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, if you have any spirit of shopping left in you, we offer a number of gorgeous products handcrafted right in Israel for your consideration. Take a look. We'll come back and take your call. I neglected to mention that if you order, if then, 
you will also get a free copy of the Bible versus the Book of Mormon. Order this, get that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I have a cartoon that someone very close to me sent me. You can't see it, but there's a statue, and below it it says the invention of religion, and there's a guy standing in front of it, and he says to a couple who are looking at him, okay, here's how it works. First, you never question anything I tell you. The invention of religion. Oh, oh. I thought that was pretty good, but I guess our audience, they're a little slow tonight. Uh, we're going to Levi in Logan, Utah uh, on line two. First time caller. Levi, you're on Heart of the Matter. Howdy, partner. Howdy, dude. What's happening? I'm uh, just looking for a little Christian perspective. On what? On a little question concerning baptisms for the dead. Yeah. Okay, so like a good little boy, I read the Bible, and the, uh, the other day, I was reflecting upon it, and I had a question in my mind. I brought up this question with one of my Mormon friends, and this question was, in the beginning when God chose uh, his nation of Israel, uh, did he just make everyone else to go to hell? You know, so I brought that up, and a Mormon, my, my friend, said, well, that's one of the uses of baptism for the dead, so that those people had chances, you know. Yeah. So I was just looking for a little Christian perspective on that, okay. that question. Before uh, Jesus came and offered his life up, the children of Israel, under the covenant of the law, uh, and those who were not uh, uh, part of the children of Israel, the pagan nations, they too lived by faith and by the law. And by faith, if they trusted God and his promises and, and, and they did their, their, their goods or did whatever, they died and they went to a place that is known as Sheol. Now, Sheol is hell. That's what hell is in the Hebrew, S-H-E-O-L, Sheol. And so everybody went to Sheol, Abraham included. All everybody went to Sheol. There was a bad part of Sheol where there was, was burning and thirsty. No, I don't know about burning, but there's thirsty places and there was restful places, paradise. Okay? And everybody went to that place because nobody had their, their sins cleansed no matter how good they lived because they all sinned. And Jesus needed to come and offer his life. Once Jesus gave his life and he died, he went and that he took everybody who was in paradise to heaven with him. The people who were in Sheol were there just because they, had, they didn't live by what they were given. They didn't live by the law. They didn't live by the faith. But the people who lived by what they were given and they performed according to what God laid out in the whole of the Old Testament, they were in the paradise part of Sheol and that was taken out of Sheol and put in heaven. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So uh, just a quick question on that. So those who, like like the Canaanites, the Amorites, all those guys, they all went down there. And uh, did they get any kind of second chance once Jesus came down or anything like that? Or that was it? Like, one, say they never got circumcised, any of the Levitical laws, any of that. And uh, did they get any kind of second chance once Jesus Christ came? Not a second chance necessarily. But again, God is just. And so, mm -hmm. remember, Rahab was not, a, a not part of the children of Israel. But it was by her faith and, and, and her actions that she, too, was saved. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as part of the uh, household of faith. So it, was, it wasn't because they were necessarily an Amorite or a Hittite or whatever. It was how they responded to what they were given. So I would never make the categorical statement, everybody who was not an obedient part of uh, the house of Israel stayed in hell no 
Right, right. That's my argument to him. I said, you know, God is just, you know, so Absolutely. whatever he did, I'm sure. But is there any uh, particular scripture anywhere I could go, like on the Internet or anywhere, where I could find the scripture where it kind of describe that a little bit better? The uh, best thing you do is go to First uh, Peter and Second Peter and read about uh, what Christ did once uh, he was resurrected. But it's going to okay. take kind of a, a comprehensive study of Sheol and everything else to understand. It's not something that we just have it laid out clearly for you. It takes a kind of a comprehensive look at the Bible. Uh, is that kind of where Catholics get their idea of purgatory from, that little area? Yeah. Okay, so I should be careful not to mix it up with the Catholic view of purgatory and this other view. Not at all. And that baptism for the dead thing, I mean, anybody can conjure up something to make something sound right. But uh, we know the thief on the cross, there was no baptism for the dead. And when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, it meant that day, and he went to heaven. Right, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Yeah. You know, I, I'm right there with you. I was just looking for a little, my Christian perspective, you know. Yeah, uh, try working with that one. And, uh, you know, I think our show on hell might help you. Uh, it was about the middle of the year, 2010, the archives at HOTM.TV. Okay, I'll make sure to check those out. Thank you so much. All right, Levi, take place. Take. All right, God bless. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to go to Kim in Alberta, Canada, a first-time caller and LDS. Kim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hey, Kim, you're on the air. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Oh, uh, staying alive, just recovering from a pacemaker implant. But anyway, another story. Hey, uh, we had a. We were saying on your show there tonight about uh, uh, yeah. how controlling the church is going to be. About what priesthood? Uh, about politi how political controlling. Yeah. Well, we had an experience when I met the wife, and we uh, we got married, and we were trying to get a temple wedding. Kim, really and talk loudly, because I'm having trouble hearing you. Okay, we were getting. Uh, we were we were trying to get a temple marriage. Okay. And they actually, we counted on them to kind of know her character through spiritual means or whatever, but instead they went back to anyone who knew her, the bishop went to anyone that knew her, right back to the missionaries that baptized her, looking for a written reference on her character. Wow. And people that she barely knew were being asked to write a comment on how good her character was, whether she was worthy for a temple marriage or not it's insane so uh, scary it's scary now we happen to have also another on, the, on another subject we have some uh, church standard works from early 1900s in our family yeah okay are you familiar with the lectures on faith yeah from joseph smith yes on lecture five he clearly states that god was this personage of spirit right Okay. McConkie says he was a man. When did that change? Yeah, they cha they've changed so much. You're right. And those lectures on faith were removed out of the Doctrine and Covenants, weren't they? I imagine they were. They used to be part of the Doctrine be? and Covenants. If they were uh, part of the Scriptures then, why are they taken away? Yeah, you, you know, the best thing that I can't ask, ask the question, answer the question, I don't know why they do anything except to survive, you know? But uh, you make a really good point, Kim. I appreciate it. How, how's it up there in Alberta, Canada? I've been there before. It's beautiful. Well, I stop by if you ever come up again. 
I'll do it. It's kind of cold right now. All right, my brother, keep going. Hey, keep, keep the faith, man. Thanks for ca- thanks thanks for calling. I hope you recover quickly. Dude, I better just watch it. I have a question here. Does the Bible say that fallen angels or demons have offspring that are physical? That are physical. There's a reference to the sons of God coming down with the daughters of men, and something going on that produced uh, a giant race. But you know, somebody who's more on topic with that who can call in and clarify exactly what that's all about. I read it once, and I wasn't really sure, but there is something in the Bible that talks about that actually happening. Diana wants to know when and if the LDS young men join the troops, can they choose to leave and serve a mission instead? I would imagine that the the military would be in charge of whether they could leave if they've joined the troops or not for an LDS mission. I doubt that very much. I don't think that happens. I think if you join the military, you got to finish your term, and then you can come back and possibly serve the Mormon mission. David in Ogden, Utah, first-time caller, line two. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, uh, Sean. Hey. Hey, this is David in Ogden. Hi, David. Wonder, you're familiar with the, uh, the Apostles' Creed, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm not uh, – oh, the, Apo- the Nicene or the uh, Athanasian? Well, I mean, where it says that uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, talking about Christ, and then he descended to hell. And then he, on the third day, he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. But yeah. once he will come back to earth and, you know, uh, resurrect the, the judge living and the dead. Yeah. And okay. they pull that from First Peter, that, that reference in that creed. I agree with the, those creeds pretty much all the way through. There's like one point or two that are kind of strange to me, but I think they're they're very well written. Okay, so uh, there was a caller earlier that said uh, that you mentioned to him that on the cross uh, that the one of the thieves, uh, the, 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 the one thief that repented, one of them didn't, obviously. He, he, he basically committed blasphemy against uh, Christ, but the other thief, you know, he, he, he repented, and uh, he told him, you know, today you'll be with me, you know, in paradise. Yeah. But um, there were, you know, there was no punctuation back then. I'm sure you've heard this argument before. Yeah. The today were two uh, separate words. You know, I mean, it's like if I say, uh, "Hey, you know, today, uh, today, Sean, you're going to get. I'm telling you today, you're going to get your car fixed." And it doesn't mean it's going to happen today. And we know that he descended to hell. And we know he didn't go to paradise that day because when Mary Magdalene came to. You know, the, the, not just Mary, but she was the first one to, to, to <coughs> see him, uh, the resurrected. He said, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended to my father. He had not gone to paradise. Yet. Yeah, but a day in the year of the Lord's a thousand years. Huh? A day in the year of the Lord's a thousand years. And the argument you're making about the two-day does not hold water when you read the Greek. If you're going to listen to LDS men who just read the, the, the English words and say they can figure it out from that, then you can believe anything they say. But that two-day meant two-day in the Greek. Just go to Strong's and, and look it up yourself. Go to the Blue Letter well, Bible online and look it up yourself. Well, well I, I, you know, I hear you, but what I'm saying is that Christ descended to hell. He did not go to paradise that day. Okay, hell had, when he saw hell, Mary, Sean. hell had a paradise in it. Sheol was not the burning hell of fire and eternal Punishment. I know. Was the, there was a hell of the righteous, and there was a hell of, of the damned. And, and the righteous were in a paradise part of hell. 
yeah, uh, it was uh, Abraham's bosom. That's right. Uh, That's right. Okay, so, but, but, but he didn't go to paradise because uh, he, he, that, well, he went to the, the, the hell of the righteous, which is Abraham's bosom. Which is paradise. But that is not where the, that might be where the thief went, but what I'm, what I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll go that far with you. But Christ had not ascended to the highest, I guess, to God the Father, yeah, because after when Mary saw him, he said, "Don't touch me. I haven't ascended." I didn't anything. say he went to the Father. Um, no, he did. no, he did not. Show him. I didn't after say. He's read this right I, there in Scripture. I didn't say he went to the oh, Father. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. All right, we got your point. Thanks. We got a lot of callers. Take take care. I do want God to say bless. that I appreciate your. I appreciate everything you do, and I think you're doing a great job. And you just keep up the good work, and and uh, I believe in you, and what you're doing. And uh, in your ministry, and have a, have a good night, brother. Thanks, David. God bless you. Take place. What? What? I am. Lo- we got Ruth, who's an atheist. Ruth, how are you? Ruth. Um, okay. You're yeah. on the air, my friend. Okay. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. He doesn't need and, one, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> you can um, laugh like him. Anyway. Go ahead, Ruth. We lost her. We're having some technical difficulties. While they figure it out, keep trying to get Ruth back on. Tell her that we can't hear her. I'm going to read an email. Uh, This is from Kim who says, Hey, I appreciate what you're doing and the criticism that you take. I suggest you define your target audience. If it is active LDS, then think then I think you will find it advantageous to approach them from a familiar ground. Avoid words you use like bastard, friggin', freakin'. Ever hear any LDS member in a talk use those words? Or outbursts of yelling which undermine your original message. <clears throat> I appreciate that, Kim, <clears throat> but you have to understand something. We do know who our target audience is. It is not the stalwart LDS. Our target audience are the people who are frustrated with being LDS and they don't know why. It's the ones who sit there and they want to say friggin' and bastard from the pulpit, but they can't. It's those people who are searching for truth and they haven't had a voice in this state or elsewhere that, that, that tells them, look, you can be normal and just speak it. And yes, I would like to control my use of the B words and the friggin' words. And, but, but, you know, it's just communication here. And, and I'm, I'm not justifying it, but our target audience relates to that. How can I say that? We've got the emails to prove it. We've, we've got the people who say they've come out because of it. If I were speaking to the LDS proper and the stalwarts, I would be so boring. I would dress so stupidly. <laughs> and I, and I, would, I would just talk in their sing-song, lilted ways that come straight down from the prophet to everybody else. But that's not what we're about, Kim. Okay? So does that help? Are the phones ready? We'll try her again. Ruth? Not Ruth. Okay, we're going to go to uh, Fred, who is a Mason. Fred, you're on Heart of the Matter. Fred. Well, they've got him there, but we need him out here. I'm going to leave him on the line, so if he comes up, I can hear him. We'll go on to another email. 
Brad says, please pray for me. I cannot do it myself. I don't know how. He says, I'm not a Mormon. I've never called myself a member of any religion, but I do know that God exists and I know Jesus came. He just pleads, please pray for me. God has showed me humility by taking away the things I do not deserve. Please pray that he makes me a worthy man of my family. I love them. Please send an angel to ward off the evil that surrounds me. Ask them that they remove the evil from my house. Protect my family. Please pray. I am ready to be taught. I need to learn the truth. Please pray that God will heal my son of his eczema. He's a happy boy, and I thank the Lord for giving him to me. I just wish that he had given me the eczema because he doesn't deserve it, and I do. You know, this, this, this pain, Brad, that you have, and where so many emailers like you have, take it to the Lord. Uh, we will pray. People pray. But you take it to the Lord, cry out to him and just lay it all, gather it up in your, in your mind and just gather it and put it at his feet and say, help me, change my heart, change my life, give me new life. And you'll know that by the love you have for others and the peace. And yeah, well, life gets hard, but, but, but Brad, you've got to try to turn it to the Lord. And uh, so people will pray for you and your situation, but you keep turning it to him. Want to try it again? Let's try Chris and Sandy on line three. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I've got a uh, thing I want to talk to Sean about. You're on the air, Chris. Turn it up a little bit. Uh, my name's Glenn Hansen. I'm up here in Star Valley. Okay. I just wanted to comment on your target audience. I think last year, you, or last week, you pretty well defined your target audience with that girl from California. That's what? That girl from California, what was her name? Yeah. Kadia? Yeah. Uh, the time you spent, and I could tell that you really were sincere with her. Yeah. Uh, that's their, your target audience. Anybody that watches your show can tell that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Glenn. These, you want to help these people coming out of Mormonism that are lost? And uh, I just wanted to comment that I really where you were coming from last week I appreciate it my friend that is where I come from that's my heart the yeah, people and if these Mormon guys just want to call and argue with with you they maybe have to watch a show a little bit with an open mind and see where you're really coming from you know yeah I don't call up to argue with you because I know what you're doing God bless you God bless you thank you for the call yeah thank you okay bye-bye we're gonna try Ruth again from Salt Lake City Ruth you're on heart of the matter Ruth? Okay, well, I was, on, I was on before, and then I was just cut off. I made my statement, and then well, there was no response. Ruth? Am I really, truly on now? Ruth, we're having some audio difficulty. We have a new soundboard, and we're trying to figure it out. So just be patient, but you're on the air, so just try to articulate your comment loudly. And we lost Ruth again. Back to the emails. Lord, help the, help the technicals. Uh, Sean, this is from Blake. I don't know about uh, much about religion, but I've read the Bible and Revelation says two beasts will rise from the land and from the sea, and they shall feed one will feed the other. I was beaten into Mormonism by my stepfather. And I so wish I was never baptized into that pseudo church. I'm not active and would like my name removed from there. I would like to know how I can do it. You can just go to www.hotm.tv 
and just click on name removal. You can also go to utlm.org. It's a fantastic site uh, started by the Tanners and it is full of information and ways that will help you uh, remove your name from the church. Uh, this is from Irene who writes that nowhere in the Bible does it say you should be compelled by the book that you're reading. That it's only the Book of Mormon that prompts being uh, compelled where the Bible prompts being convicted. So there's a difference between the powers. And she was referring to Eve who called two weeks ago and said, hey, you know, I felt, I don't care what you say, Sean McCraney. I felt that this is the true church when I watched a film and that's all I need, right? And so what Irene is saying, listen, the feelings will compel you. I mean, I have had feelings when I was a teenager that compelled me to reach out and kiss a girl that I shouldn't have. I was compelled to do it, okay? But I wasn't convicted by that. The Bible convicts. That's why so many people hate reading it. Because when you open it up, it reveals your sin to you. But the compelling nature of Mormonism is the thing to be afraid of. Those are dark spirits that work on you. Shall we try again? Let's go to Chris and Sandy on line three. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Not doing it. Come back to more emails. I am glad I was ready. My name is Sepatio. I'm 26-year-old from Mexico. I was LDS member for five years, and after some research, I opened my eyes. I'm currently doing uh, searching for a good church in San Jose, California. My search is con uh, continues. I have a question regarding Christians who claim to speak in tongues. Is this biblical? I can't seem to find anything regarding this issue. Thanks so much. You know, Sepatio, uh, there is a movement among the Christian churches that claim that they are speaking in tongues. And I don't know if they're speaking in tongues or not. Uh, I believe in the gift of tongues. But I want to tell you what I believe based on Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues is. I believe the gift of tongues is this. One, you are speaking a language that you have not learned. Two, there is somebody who can interpret that language and tell others what it means. I believe it is not supposed to happen in churches. It's more of a sign for unbelievers to see that occur and believe. That's the early church history of tongues. Somehow it's made it in where you stand up in church and you and 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 someone else stands up and says, I think what he said is Taco Bell's having a sale. I'm just kidding. And uh, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I'm sorry. And there's this thing, but it's not scriptural. If you do a real exegetical study of scripture on the gift of tongues, bottom line, book of Acts chapter 2, they spoke in the native tongues of all these different places, and there were interpreters who understood what was being said. Now, there's a difference between that and praying in tongues. That is the language of the angels. And that is when you go to the Lord and you have this urgency where you start babbling and speaking from your heart's content. You're uttering words that you don't know. And it's just like moaning. It starts off with just groaning. There's this deep utterances within you. That's a personal and private thing that you would do in your communicating with God. He doesn't need language. He wants to read your heart. So if you're just moaning and uttering to him, oh, you know, whatever it is, that's a different thing. People have kind of mixed those up, and that's what my position is. We can hear the caller, as can the viewers. Do you want to let them make a statement? No, because then I can't defend what they're saying. 
Okay, Brandy's going to bring it in. Let's go to Ruth 1. Ruth, I can't hear you, but the audience can make your statement in one or two sentences. She has a question and a response. Okay, we're waiting for it. Go ahead. Phenopolay. <laughs> Ruth, I can't hear you. It's not working. Uh, all right, we're going to go back to the phones. They can hear me. Oh. <laughs> This is going down as a highlight show, let me tell you. This is why I get paid the big bucks. Okay, I'll shut up. Ruth? Answer a line. Ruth, are you there? Yeah, it would be quicker. Put Fred on. Fred, line four. Fred, are you on? Go ahead. You just answer your qu ask your question. We've got one minute left. 